Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. For those that have a pew Bible, that would be page 850. As I said in the first service, I have no idea where it would be on your iPad. You're on your own. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Follow along with me, if you would. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them although the law required them to be made. And then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there was no longer any sacrifice for sin. This is the word of the Lord. I just remind any woman that wants to be in a Bible study that Susie does have a Bible study. Today's the last day to sign up. And so be sure to do that today if you want to be in that class. Well, we're in Hebrews 10. And let me once again set the setting for the audience. He's talking to Jews. It's written to Hebrews. And there's probably three categories these Hebrews happen to be in. Number one, 
the professed believers, or they never hear this scroll, this document. So the professing faith in Christ, anybody can do that. Anybody can say they know him. His challenge to them is under suffering and persecution that they were undergoing. They're being tempted to go back to Judaism. They're weighing out. Uh, if I leave everything I've known as a child and I go to this, I'm going to maybe be put out of the family, put out of the will, lose my job, uh, uh, can't go to the synagogue. I'm excluded by my ethnic identity group of people. And uh, so I'm weighing that out. All I want is maybe Christ, a great Savior, but I'm weighing out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Can I or can I not? Then there are those believers who are true believers who are suffering, being persecuted, who are being exiled, and he's trying to encourage them. Christ is worth it. Christ is worth it. Don't go back. Don't give up the best for the least. And for the, that doesn't work. And so the theme of this book is he keeps telling them, Christ is superior. Christ is better. Don't go back. Don't go back. He says he's superior in revelation to anything God's ever said. In these last days, God talks to us in a son. He goes on to say he's superior to angels in chapter 1 and 2, greater than any angel. He goes on. He's superior to Moses. Chapter 3 he says that. Chapter 3 and 4, he's a superior rest to anything that was offered Israel in Canaan. This is the superior rest. He goes on to say he's a superior high priest, and he begins that in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. He mentioned it in 2, 16 through 18. He picks it up in 5, 1 through 11. Then he steps over to chapter 7. Then he says he's given us a superior covenant, a new covenant in Hebrews 8. He goes to 9, and he said he ministers in a superior place, not an earthly tent or tabernacle, but he's in the true tabernacle of God, which is in the heavens. Chapter 10, he's going to say he is by far the superior sacrifice, the best sacrifice ever made to a people who have made millions of sacrifices and seem to be no better. Millions of animals have been killed in the Old Testament. The day of Passover in biblical times and even in New Testament times, on Yom Kippur, which the Jewish people celebrate this month, when they would go to Jerusalem, it is estimated that 300,000 lambs would be slain at one time. 300,000. So much blood came off of the Jewish altar in the temple that they made channels to capture all the blood that was flowing out from the temple, and they channeled the blood to the Kidron Brook right in Jerusalem. 
blood, blood, blood. And now the writer says, let me tell you something. Let me point out five things, five inadequacies of all these Old Testament sacrifices. They just weren't adequate for the job. And then he says, let me tell you three superior things about Christ's sacrifice. And you'll see you don't need to go back to the inadequacy of the old covenant sacrifices. Christ is the new and better way. Five things wrong with the old sacrificial system. And he points it out. Number one, verse 10-1, it was simply a shadow, and shadows can't save. Notice it. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. See, the shadow presumes a building. And what he's saying here, Old Testament was sketchy, outlines, a shadow, but the real substance is Christ himself. We're giving up shadows for the real substance, the reality. So, Old Testament sacrifices are only a shadow that the Messiah must come. They are not the thing that can save. Two, they tell you that sin can never be gotten rid of. Notice that verse 2. He says, if they could have been made perfect, uh, offerings would have ceased to be offered. But because they could never make anyone perfect, they, they thought they'd get clean, and externally they could. They could wash their hands, but nothing happened inside of them. And they would keep having this consciousness of sin. And every sacrifice was a reminder, I'm not well with God. I'm not acceptable with God. I can't get into his presence. I got to let this guy get there once a year for me. And I don't even know if he knows my name. But we got a high priest that gets to go in once a year. I can't get in. And all the sacrifices, all they're doing, I think of three R's. They remind me I'm a sinner I'm falling short. My sins are constantly remembered by God, and they are repeated, repeated, repeated. The sacrificial system is beating me to a pulp as one. I've got to bring it. I've got to bring it. But I'm reminded I'm a sinner. My sins are brought up to God constantly. When, when is that ever put behind me? Never in the old covenant. Never. It's like taking medicine and being promised a cure, but you can't get better. And you just keep taking it. Well, the doctor told me to take it. He said, well, it, it doesn't kick in until three weeks, then three months, then six months. Says, Why don't you just tell me the medicine doesn't work? And it didn't work, and Israel proved it. The sacrifices, the third thing, they can never purchase forgiveness for anyone. Verse 4, 10, 4, you see that? He said, it is impossible, impossible 
for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. Well, if it's impossible, why do we have to do it? Well, God said, I'm giving that to you to push the debt away, and I'm going to push it forward. And he said in Romans 3, God looked over and forbear with the sins of Israel and the nations all the way from Adam to Christ for nothing in that whole period ever did pay for sin. They were only token reminders of these truths. Sin demands a payment. You are a sinner, and I'm going to remind you of it by the sacrificial system. You deserve to die. You deserve to die. I told Adam and Eve, you die if you eat of the tree. So it had that. It shouted, I deserve the punishment. Somebody has to die. My favorite lamb, maybe. Death keeps flooding my worship experience. Somebody's always having to die for me to approach God. Bloody. I don't know what the humane society, oh, they would just go crazy in the Old Testament. Yep. They, they, they would just couldn't. But guess what? In the Old Testament, religion was bigger than animals. And so, as I said, it's impossible. And all of this is just pushing the debt forward, pushing the debt forward. And imagine the frustration that every time you borrow money from somebody and you're unable to pay them back, and every time they see you, they say, you know you owe me. You owe me this much money. Matter of fact, since I've seen you last, it's accrued interest. And the guy says, well, I gave you 200 bucks, but I didn't even pay the interest charges. You're still in debt. You still owe me. You're still failing your obligation. You're still a loser. You still owe me money. You're becoming my slave. And you, the guy says, when, oh, when will I ever be forgiven the debt? You won't. You can't pay it off. Well, even the sacrifices, he begins in verses 5 through 8, the sacrificial system had even become sickening to God himself. He said in Isaiah 1, I'm sick of your sacrifices. I'm sick of your new moons. I'm sick of all your religious activity. Uh, he said it in Amos 5. He said it in Jeremiah 6.20. I'm sick of it, sick of it, sick of it. And David even said, God, I'm not bringing you a sacrifice for the murder and the adultery I've committed. There is no sacrificial animal to pay for murder or to pay for adultery. The law said I must die. The only thing I got is a broken heart. God said, I want to forgive you for that. Because when I read Proverbs 7, for the early as a young man, it used to baffle me that the adulteress tells the guy she's seducing, go to bed with me because I've been to church and already paid my vows. You read it. 
Proverbs 7. I've already paid my vows. My husband's out of town. It's a new moon, and I've already put perfume on my bed. Come on, I've covered my religious obligation. I got the old man out of town. Let's commit adultery tonight. Why did you take a sacrifice? I got to keep my religious account up. I got to pay my dues. But it doesn't change me. It never got rid of the desire nor that. And God said, I'm sick of the sacrificial system. You're coming, you're playing games with me. It's become a ritual. It's external. Nothing's going on in you. And, you know, it's like people want to go to a, a late mass because tomorrow we're going to do Mardi Gras. And when we go into Mardi Gras, we're going to sin, be immoral, get drunk, and gamble all week. We better be sure the priest gives us a little bit of penance, a little bit of forgiveness. We'll get some forgiveness so we can raise hell tomorrow night. The joke of it, the joke of it. You think that can appease God? It's people, I, I'm told, much in the South. It's in order. It's, it's cool to be a church member. If you want to be a good businessman, you've got to tell people where you go to church. We don't do that in the West. We're too rowdy. So you go to church, so you still look good, but your heart's far from God. And that's where Isaiah said, you draw an eye to me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. You're far from me. So I said, I'm sick of the sacrificial system, and he said it to the prophets. And then he said in verse 9, it's only a temporary system anyway. I didn't mean for this to last forever. So it's inadequate. It doesn't get rid of sin. It doesn't do anything in you. In chapter 9, he said, it doesn't cleanse the conscience. It just externally cleans the body. Take a little water and wash yourself. Totally inadequate, totally inadequate. Now, let me tell you what the sacrifice of Christ does. And now he's going to tell us. And let us lift three things it does. First of all, it is an obedient, satisfying sacrifice to God. Because here was the problem. You bring your sacrifice in the Old Testament. You give it to the priest. He offers it. But you still aren't going to obey God. I'm not a, was the lamb obedient? Was it the lamb's choice to have its throat slit? No. no. The animal's totally passive. It's all moral. It, it, come on, it's just a lamb. It has nothing, it has no moral factor involved. It just has to meet a animal code of not being defective. And remember in Malachi, they got where they even offered sick lambs. It got to be such a joke. They went through the ritual so much. Now, you've got to know a priest in those days made about five to six sacrifices a day, 360 days a year, Jewish calendar, 360 days, constantly offering it. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. The drudgery of being an Old Testament priest. But here he said, Lord, here's Messiah talking to God. You're, you're tired of sacrifice and offering. You want somebody that wants to obey you first 
and I've come to do your will, and I'm going to take to myself a body, and I'm going to go to the cross. Think of Christ doing this. Here he's on the throne, looks down at the Levitical system that's not working, and knows that the only thing that could ever satisfy God to eliminate the debt was a sacrifice that was as holy as God. So it eliminated all of mankind. If you killed a hundred men, a thousand men, nobody would ever meet the specifications of God. So here God the Son and the Father work it out. He says, what if I become a man? What if the infinite is willing to shrink and become an infant? And on the brink, some believe this psalm was said on the brink upon coming into the world before he decided to join himself to the human ovum of a girl. There was a human ovum there. It was real. And Deity is going to provide the counterpart sperm. So you got a real pregnancy. There was a real pregnancy in the virgin. It was a virgin conception. And so on that moment, he said, Father, this is what you wanted. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving the throne. I'm going to join myself to Mary's body because I'm the only thing that can satisfy you in the payment of sin. And I'm going to obey you perfectly. I'm going to be everything you always wanted in the sacrifice that the Old Testament proved to be a joke and totally inadequate. And so on the verge of stepping out of glory, he's doing this. You've given up on animal sacrifices. You all accept nothing but a perfectly willing, obedient servant. And that's no one less than his son. And that's why Christ became man to be the sacrifice, the sacrifice for our sins. Well, verse 11 and 12, he says, the regular priests ministered daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting to conquer his enemies. Would you, you, you don't get it. You don't, you, you're clueless because you're not Jewish and you haven't seen the blood pour out of the temple. For a Jew to hear this in the first century, God's got one sacrifice that will do for all time, and this ends, this ends the whole sacrificial system. I read a sermon years ago by Angel Martinez, and he said, when Christ came as the Lamb of God, in the Gospels, the first one told that he would come were probably temple shepherds that they raised lambs. Because if you kill 300,000 lambs on one day, I want to tell you the shepherds are making a living off of the religious system. Where are you going to get the lambs? Many people would buy them nearby in Jerusalem because they didn't want to carry them from the north and carry that animal or bring that animal all the way. So many times they'd get to Jerusalem, go to the animal market and buy their lamb, buy their lamb and take it, give it to the priest. 
But he notified the shepherds first. And Martinez said, because he wanted them to sign up for unemployment. He just put them out of a job. Won't be needing any more lambs. Close your business. And look at the Jew today. He has no sacrifice. He has no priest. He has no temple. And he has no future unless he receives Messiah. In the destruction of the temple, they lost the meeting place. They lost the Aaronic priesthood. The records have been scattered. The sacrifices are gone, not because they accepted Christ, but because the Romans devastated the place. They have nothing. And here he says, this one once and for all, and to prove to you that he's done, in all the Old Testament furnishings, there were no chairs. You were never done. What did he do? <sighs> it's done. Just got to do it once. It's done forever. He sat down. He sat down. You know, it's done. It's, it's behind. He's just saying, got it done. No more. No more. No more. That did it. Third thing. What good did it do? Old Testament didn't seem to change the worshiper. What does this new sacrifice do? Five things. You ready? Number one, I cannot believe, I'm saying that sarcastic, it is hard to believe that he accomplished these things about us. Wait till you hear it. Number one, verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Sanctified means what? Set apart to God, declared holy, and that is set apart for God totally. Now, we use sanctification. It's used of a present tense that I'm becoming holy. I'm becoming more like Christ. And I'm in a process of looking like Christ. But here, it sounds like a finished deal, doesn't it? And by that will, we have been in the past. And in the Greek, it would be this way. Just imagine this is a period. Boom. In Greek, it, they call it punctiliar with abiding results. It happened in a point in time, and it abides. Guess what? On the basis of Christ's sacrifice, he has set you apart for God forever. You are sanctified for your seen in Christ. And 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ is our sanctification. If you've never been holy before, you're now holy if you belong to Christ. You're holy in the sight of God. Why should I care what you think I look like? if I know how he sees me. Which is the greater verdict on you? God's verdict of you, how he sees you, or man's verdict? And he says, number one, I see you here. And the second one, I want inscribed on my forehead so my wife can read it about me. And that is verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected. I want to put it right here. I am perfect in God's sight. What do you think? 
He has perfected for all time those who are in the process of being sanctified. So I've been set apart, done for God. Now he says, I'm perfect in the sight of God based on the sacrifice of his son. You know, a lot of people, uh, this is a common saying, don't go to church, they'll make you feel guilty. You know, you go to church for your guilty fix. If you're not guilty enough, let us bang on you a little bit and you'll be guilty. Yeah, I went to church, I feel guilty. I'm rotten, I'm guilty. No, 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 no. You ought to come to church to find out what God thinks of you. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn men. I found you condemned. You're already guilty. Uh, and sometimes you just look at a person and say, okay, I did it. I'm sorry. Hey, wait, wait, what did I say? You're already guilty. You know, some, I'm sure it came with people. I'm guilty. I didn't mean it. What? Your conscience, the spirit, you landed guilty. We don't make you guilty. But church ought to be a place where when you tell what Christ has done, he takes the worst of sinners, sets them apart for his use, perfects you in Christ. Uh, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, we are complete in Christ, the fullness of God. No animal sacrifice could do that. No preacher can do that. No saint can do that. You get where you're perfect, but don't get mixed up, honey. It's not on your walk. It's based upon your position in Jesus. You're perfect in Christ. Now, here's what he's doing. Then he says he's sanctifying you. He's working on making you act like Christ. And that's a different story. Where are you in that process? Are you still hard-headed? Are you still hot-headed? How's your mouth? What are you doing with your eyes? What are you doing with your body? What are you doing with your attitude? See, that's progressive. That, and, and don't say, well, that's the way the Lord made me. Don't blame that on God. That's you. God didn't make you that way. Sin did. And so, are you, are you becoming more and more like Christ? Uh, by that, are people accusing you of the fruit of the Spirit? Man, I see love in you. I see joy. Oh, I just see so much patience. Where do you get it all? Where do you get that self-control? Well, I had one of our men threatened this week by rough people. And the old life, it would have got ugly. But the Spirit of Christ produced a different response a different response. So I'm sanctified. I am perfected. I'm in the process. I'm being processed to learn to live holy. And now this new sacrifice implements the new covenant that we'll celebrate tonight because we're going to drink the juice that celebrates the covenant was made on the basis of Christ's shed blood. And we'll restore a woman at the Lord's table tonight because there's forgiveness found in Christ. She doesn't have to pay forever. This is a covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. God, through Christ, is going to internalize his law 
internalize our faith so that he changes our heart and our mind. He does something in us that's not external to us. The new covenant said it won't be written in stone like the Sinaitic covenant was. It will be written in your hearts, Jeremiah 31. He does something in you. Ezekiel said he will wash you. He will cleanse you. He'll give you a new heart, a new mind. He does internal makeover. Puts a brand new engine in the car. Brand new heart. That's in you. And that's not bad. Not too bad. We, you know, I grew up with uh, pretty strict Christians and always, always hearing this story, what if you uh, got drunk on the way home from church? I thought, man, I'd have to drink a lot of communion juice. Why would I get drunk on the way home? But anyway, the story went that way. Or if I just got mad or something, what if you died? Would you go to heaven? One sin, you know, no sin can enter there. That means none of you are going to make it because we're sinners saved by grace. And I used to hear my dad said, you know, I sin all at once. Dad, how can you say that? I said I sin all at once. I drink all at once. I cuss all at once. I look on women all at once. I cheat on my wife all at once. Whoa, what are you saying? If God hasn't taken care of the want-to, friend, you haven't met him. He's got to do something on the want-to department. Do you want to cuss? Go ahead. I grew up in Richmond. I know all about cussing. Why hasn't your internal machine changed that you don't want to cuss? Why do you want to cuss? You've never had regeneration take place. You never got the new heart inside. Nothing going on inside of you. Why, why hasn't any cleaning up been going on? I drink all I want to drink. Well, go ahead. Order up. Order, order at least 18 quarts so when you die, you won't feel it. And we get people in religion, and we try to change you on the outside. But only God can change your insides. And here he said, I'm going to do something in them. I'm going to put my law in them. So I don't need to be walking along. Rule number nine, rule number 10. Mm-mm. Yeah, mark that off. Mm-mm. No, according to Galatians, you just walk in the Christian life. You're not even looking at the law. And at the end of the day, he said, did you keep the law? I said, well, I don't know which one you're talking about. I said, well, d- did you... Uh, commit murder? Did you uh, commit adultery? Did you steal? Why? No, I didn't do any of that today. And I didn't even have a copy of the law in front of me. Well, why didn't you do it? Man, you, you could have got ignorance to let you get away with it. No, no you see, I, why would I want to do that? I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm walking with Christ. I want to be like Christ. I love Christ. I want to walk in love. Why would I cuss you out? I'd like to tell you how to go to heaven. I'd like to tell you God is good. I'd like to tell you how he forgave me. I got a new heart. I got a new vocabulary. I got a new walk. I got a new talk. I got a new desire. Where did you get that? I got it, bought at the cross, and installed in 58 in South Richmond. 
That's right, got it? The cross bought me a new heart, and I picked it up in 58. I became born again. I can still cuss as good as the best of them, but no longer does the Spirit let me get away with anything. It's terrible when you know him. You can't get away with anything. God, that word fits. He needs to be called that. Don't you do it. But I want to. And then you hang out around with Ron Hughes, you learn different abbreviations. <laughs> and, and it cleans it up. Just cleans it up. Because, boy, sometimes, just a nice word, but it doesn't fit that guy. He needs to. But be good to your enemies. Love those that despise you. You've got to be kidding. Love them. I didn't learn that in Richmond. Hit them back. Cuss them and run. <laughs> who, who, who taught you? What course did you take to change your insides? Wrote, well, wrote it on our heart. And he said in 2 Corinthians 3, this commandment is not written on stone, but on the fleshly hearts, not by the finger of God, but by the Spirit of God. I've got it written inside, and I don't need you to be quoting me the rules. The Spirit is in charge of the new man and woman in Christ. You're a new creation, new creation. Then he says, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Well, my, my friends won't. They still hold it against me. He won't. She won't. They won't. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. L listen to some of the hymns. Uh, when I think of this, my brother Paul and his wife, they used to sing this song years ago. What sins are you talking about? It goes like this. I remember the days when I was bent low with the burdens of sin and strife. Then came Jesus in and rescued me and gave me a brand new life. Now as I thank him day after day for washing my sins away, it seems I can almost hear the voice of the blessed Savior say, What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. From the book of life, they've all been torn out, and I don't remember them anymore. Come on, I'm not a singer, but you can get it. <laughs> can God say to you, I don't remember your sins anymore? Well, he sure used the language. Psalms 103 said, I've cast him as far as the east is from the west. And tell me where they meet. Try that. I cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. See, God chooses to forget. You haven't forgiven until you choose to forget it. Now, it may take some time, but it's a choice. I don't want to remember that against them. You know about the boy that he said he was nine years old before he found out his name wasn't stupid. Because his dad just kept reminding him, you don't measure up. You don't do this. You don't do that. Isn't it terrible to be around people that always bring up your negative, your faults? And God said, the blood of Christ has enabled me to never remember that you ever committed a sin against me. Now, I want to tell you, friend, 
That is a profound truth. Listen to the old hymn writers, then I'm done. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. These for could not atone, thou must save and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Listen to this. Oh, but listen to the word. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood, thy blood, not my works, thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I've been listening to a song I ran into accidentally, and it tells about the thief on the cross that in his last moments he reaches out to Christ, and I believe you're the Son of God. I want to be with you in paradise. And Jesus said, this day I'll see you in paradise. And the song picks up the theme <clears throat> that when the thief and murderer winds up in paradise and in heaven, someone asks him, how did you get here? And he said, I have no deeds in my hand that I've done. I've done no good works. But one told me, the one who told me I would be here said, tell them, you came by way of the cross. The only people in this place going to heaven today are the ones who have come by way of the cross. Until you put your faith in this one sacrifice once and for all, quit doing meritorious stuff. Quit, quit all the religious works. Quit worrying about all the rules. You know, my early days here, and I wish it was today, clean them up, clean them up, get them saved, clean them up so they look like Christians. Oh, baloney, it's not my job to make you look like a Christian. Only God can do that work. I want him to do something in your heart. And it's my job to get you to take pain off, put pain on, wear this dress. Wear Man, we have to tell some of our guys, chick, you need to watch out. You're not going to a Friday night bar. You're meeting with God's people. So don't show us more body we need to see. That's okay, isn't it? Yeah. And what are we going to do? You dirty, rotten sinner. Now we're going to put our arm around her and say, come on, honey, we're going to teach you how God's going to sanctify you. And in the meantime, you're perfect. Right. Wait, wait, wait. You don't believe that. The holiness folks just bailed out. <laughs> in the meantime, you're perfect in Jesus. We can't improve you. We never saved you anyway. Father, we thank you. You made us perfect in your sight based upon your son's work. And I actually thank you've given us the status of being holy. And all of us are aware of our own faults, our own sins, our own shortcomings. It is amazing, amazing that on the basis of Christ alone, we have this marvelous standing, standing in grace a position we could have never earned. We've come by the way of the cross, by faith in the one sacrifice. Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know Christ, 
that uh, the inward work is missing. They've just never been become a born-again new creation in Christ. May your spirit woo them. And may they not a fitness fondly dream, for the only fitness you require of them is to feel their need of you. Let me not a fitness fondly dream, for the only fitness he requires of me is to feel my need of him. Do you know him? Are you ready to face him for eternity? And can you say, I've trusted Christ. He's made me complete in a moment. Come to him. Come to him. Come to him. Without one plea, but that his blood was shed for you. Let's stand. Let's stand.